0: Hello and welcome to Intelligence Talks. I'm your host Anna Ward, a senior residential analyst at Knight Frank and today I'm joined by Ben Udy who's Australia and New Zealand economist at Capital Economics and Kate Everett-Allen, international residential partner at Knight Frank. Ben and Kate, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me.
1: Morning Anna, thanks for inviting me on again.
0: so in this episode what we'll be doing is looking at what is coming next for countries with runaway house prices so the pandemic has for many countries led to exponential house price growth and in the uk despite the end of the stamp duty holiday we continue to see near double-digit annual growth so to get a sense of what might be coming next we'll be looking at what's going on in new zealand and australia both countries which have also seen significant house price growth during this period So Ben, I guess what we'd be interested to know from the UK is um, what New Zealand and Australia are doing to sort of cool housing markets and I suppose things that could potentially come over here.
2: Yeah, so New Zealand's been sort of almost scrambling for a little while now as house prices have surged to try and address the housing crisis. There have been some tax changes by the government and some tightening of lending restrictions by the Reserve Bank. But we've been relatively dismissive of the impact of those changes so far. And given the continued surge in prices, I think that view looks pretty good. However, the Reserve Bank has recently been granted the power by the government to implement debt-to-income restrictions, so limiting the amount of debt that a household can have based on their level of income. We're expecting those changes to be implemented early next year, the Reserve Bank has all but confirmed that they will implement them. We're still waiting for the precise design of that policy, but it's likely to limit the amount of debt that any household can have to roughly six times their income. So for a single person household on $100,000, they could have a mortgage of up to $600,000. It's possible that they go even tighter than that, given the political pressure and the pressure on the Reserve Bank to curb house prices, but we think they'll start off a little bit slower. And those measures could have a significant impact. At the moment, quite a few borrowers in New Zealand do borrow above those limits that potentially you know, what the Reserve Bank might call dangerous levels. Mm
0: -hmm. And why is that? Is that simply because the house price growth has become so exponential that there is a big affordability issue there?
2: Yeah, exactly. The average uh, like house price to income ratios have skyrocketed Mm -hmm. as house prices have skyrocketed. There will be many, many places in New Zealand's biggest cities at the very least where you could not get a house that would be more than at least five times the average income.
0: And which of these measures... Do you think we'll have the biggest impact then? I mean, obviously, that's quite a kind of specific measure to New Zealand, but clearly governments around the world are are looking at bringing interest rates up and they're looking at stepping back from quantitative easing, for example.
2: Yeah, so simply on the amount that interest rates will go up for residential mortgages, rising OCR interest rates or official cash rate interest rates are likely to have the bigger impact. Mm -hmm. Uh, Central banks turned to quantitative easing, really, when they were out of options on conventional interest rate cuts. And so, while most central banks will at least stop expanding quantitative easing purchases Before they start hiking interest rates, the bigger impact to retail interest rates is likely to occur when central banks raise interest rates.
0: And how high are you expecting them to go? Because, I mean, at the moment in the UK, the bank has sort of avoided bringing them up for this current moment. But it's looking likely they might do that later in the year or at least early next year. But obviously, they're still historically fairly low. Is that the case also in New Zealand and Australia? And how high do you think they'll have to get before they'll have a big impact?
2: So, in Australia, uh, interest rates we think are likely to stay low for or unchanged at 0.1% for the next year as the Reserve Bank slowly, gradually tapers off its asset purchases, its quantitative easing. Thereafter, we do expect rates to sort of gradually rise, but it will take some time for them to get up to maybe. One and a half percent, which is, might be where the current cycle gets close to its peak. That would be a little bit higher than they were before the pandemic, but still not high by of the last 20 years standard. In New Zealand, inflation is really surging and the unemployment rate is at a record low. And so we think the Reserve Bank is going to start hiking rates quite quickly. We're expecting them to hike rates by another 50 basis points in a couple of weeks time. So, that should have a bigger near-term effect. We think rates will reach 2% before the end of next year, which will really start to be biting households, particularly because rising prices mean that household debt in both countries is now around its peak level, its highest ever level. So, the effect of high interest rates is going to be bigger than it has been in the past.
0: Um, And Kate, just to bring you in on on this, what are you seeing in terms of interest rates around the world?
1: Um, We're monitoring pretty much all of the markets and that we we've got a, a presence in, so pretty much across all world regions. I think from our perspective, our view is that the eurozone is probably going to be one of the last sort of central banks to raise rates. So potentially that could be one area where we see sort of continued. International flows into the market there because of, of the relatively cheap finance. But then on the flip side, it's worth pointing out that, you know, for the prime end of the market, what we've seen during the pandemic has actually been an increase in cash purchases. So there is an argument that actually the prime end of the market might be better insulated than the mainstream housing market because of their less reliance on finance and leverage as a result. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, we saw something similar after the financial crisis, but it'll be interesting to see how that plays out over the next few months.
0: Yeah, no, certainly. And I mean, if we're comparing Australia and New Zealand, from what you've said, the situation in terms of house prices sounds a little more extreme in New Zealand. Is it fair to say there are conditions that suggest that New Zealand's in a housing bubble right now?
2: It's certainly starting to look that way. However, you know, I think people have been saying New Zealand's in a housing bubble for quite a long time and uh, forecasting prices to suddenly collapse and continually been proven wrong in part because of really strong population growth in net migration inflows and cheap money or low interest rates. But the pandemic has unwound both of those things or, you know, initially made interest rates lower and property prices higher. But those look to be coming off. Net migration is still really low at the moment because no one can come into New Zealand right now. And so those effects that have been propping up property prices are starting to unwind. Um, So the Reserve Bank recently estimated that house prices were above their sustainable level. They were overvalued. I don't think they used the word bubble, but they're trying to keep it political. And so they were expecting house prices to decline, which is in line with what we've been forecasting for the last six months or so.
0: And Kate, does does this sort of chime with what you're seeing for the next sort of few years when you're looking at global house prices? And is that the mood generally softer growth throughout after quite a hyperactive period?
1: Yeah, we're actually releasing next week our forecast for 2022. Um, don't want to scupper it, but um, it pretty much <laughs> does align with what Ben has pointed out, really. So we're expecting that Australian cities will continue to perform strongly next year and the prices will continue to rise, but the rate of growth will just moderate slightly. And I think really there's a, a lack of supplies is quite a key issue in a number of prime markets, particularly in Sydney. And that's also been exacerbated by the pandemic as construction has been delayed and we've seen that in a number of cities so yeah I think I would concur really with with what Ben has said I would also point to the fact that both Australia and New Zealand, the governments are quite proactive in terms of stepping in early to bring price growth under control. We've seen quite a host of measures introduced since about 2016, particularly targeting non-residents, so either higher rates of stamp duty or or even bans in, in New Zealand on foreign purchasers buying existing property. They can still buy new build. But those sorts of measures, the governments don't seem averse to taking quite big decisions on on the property market to try and curtail price inflation. Their focus is as I said has already been on on foreign buyers, but also on speculative demand and really trying to improve affordability for their domestic populations. We've already seen since the pandemic, New Zealand was quick to sort of reverse the relaxation of loan to value ratios that came in at the start of the pandemic as soon as they saw that the housing market wasn't at risk from the pandemic. And in October we've seen the banking regulator in Australia has raised the minimum interest rate buffer. So they're they're trying to make it slightly harder to approve home loan applications. So there are measures coming in already and with interest rate rises in New Zealand now in, in place and and sort of likely to continue and Australia potentially around the corner, then I expect that we will continue to see the rate of growth moderate, but I don't expect to see prices start to fall.
0: And just to finish, just given the zero COVID policies that we've seen in Australia and New Zealand, I suppose when we look back in a few years at all of this, do you think that their approach was in terms of for their economies, do you think that will be detrimental for their housing market going forward?
2: I suspect it will remain a, a source of contention for some time. It's certainly proven more difficult in recent months as the rest of the world has started to open up, and New Zealand and Australia have had to be a little bit more careful about that as they let in sort of the first COVID cases and let that spread for the first time in earnest. I think the long-standing impact on the housing market is likely to be similar to what we're seeing now, a boost to prices in the near term. Admittedly, we do expect population to be permanently smaller, and so that would be a slight dampener on house prices in the medium term.
0: Do you mean in terms of the international constraints and so on?
2: Yeah, both countries have seen population growth come to a standstill. And even if population growth now goes back to its pre-virus levels, that 2% less people in both countries is going to weigh on demand for housing.
0: Kate, have you noticed any of those sort of trends of people sort of opting to want to live near a family and that kind of thing and perhaps changes in migration around the world and the sort of knock-on impact on housing?
1: Yeah, so a couple of things on that. We did a survey last year on expats and actually there was quite a significant number of Australian expats who, working abroad, the pandemic had prompted them to want to return home or at least purchase a, a property back home. And I think that as borders start to open up, we'll start to see that that flow of money back into Australia. The other factor is I think the lockdowns have probably shone a light for many wealthy Australians on the convenience of having a second home in Australia or potentially even in the same state as their primary residence, given that there was such a variation in, in lockdown rules from state to state and should pandemics reoccur or future variants mean there are going to be future lockdowns actually the ability to have a a second home that you can go to and work remotely from potentially would be an attractive option rather than having to or being stopped from from traveling abroad to your second home perhaps in Southeast Asia or or Europe etc.
0: Yeah, it'll certainly be interesting to see what the kind of longer lasting impacts of all of this will be. Thank you very much, Ben, for joining us. Interesting time. So we'll have to get you back on the podcast once things have become a bit clearer. But yeah, really appreciate your insight. Thank you, Kate, as well for joining. Thank you. No problem. Thanks, Anna. For more analysis, you can subscribe to our research note, which goes out every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. You can see our show notes for more details on that. And please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and listen out for our next episode in two weeks. Thank you for listening to this week's Intelligence Talks.